but I just didn't have the title. And although titles matter, I have learned experience can outweigh it. And so that has how I have been just building my career to get the experiences that I needed, even a little stint with resource development and fundraising and um, along the way that has really helped prepare me. So I think one, my mindset's different. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is the podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders to help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. You're about to watch another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom, which for those of you who are at home, if you have not seen this before, these are weekly episodes where we conduct an interview with a sitting college president or chancellor, and we want to talk to them about how they're navigating the challenge of this moment. We're in a really unique time, and we want to focus on their leadership and unpack how they are making decisions, how they are navigating, and hopefully it will leave you with a sense of optimism, a bit inspired, and give you a bit of hope. This week, we're bringing you uh, an interview and a discussion with Dr. Shauna Jackson, who's president of Nashville State Community College. Uh, she served in that role since 2018. Uh, before that, she had a escalating administrative roles at, at both uh, Columbia, Columbia State Community College, um, Volunteer State Community College in Tennessee. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Very much appreciate you taking the time. And uh, we were on a panel together, and I was just sharing that um, I heard you talking and I was like, how did I not know? I mean, she was, you had a lot of really insightful comments, especially around student success and what it was really like to implement. And so I'm so delighted that you uh, accepted my email and, and joined us on the show today. So um, we generally like to set the stage of kind of how are you holding up right now? You know, all is well. You know, things are still very uncertain, even with um, our hope that People are getting vaccinated and the cases are remaining somewhat stable, but it is an uncertain time right now. And so we are just focused on students. And no matter how many students we have, we want to serve them to the best of our ability. So our work has not changed. How we deliver that work has changed, but we're very positive and hopeful right now about the fall. That's great. And so for folks who are uh, at home and, and, and less familiar, the, some of the stuff that I found, found really intriguing about your career trajectory and, and, and the work that you do is you became president just two years before COVID, right? So 2018. And mm -hmm. while you are president, you also, in the middle of that time, you have to serve as your own interim VP for academic affairs. I have so many questions about this, but mainly I would just ask, what have you learned from these experiences that you, if you were giving advice to yourself um, as a result of going through this, um, what would you, what advice would you give to make it a little bit easier? Well, first, I guess I need to explain a little bit about how that happened. I joined Nashville State in June of 2018, and within the first six months, I had an understanding that the provost model was not going to work well. We needed someone all day long focused on student success and all day, every day focused on academic affairs. So I actually separated it and created a vice president for student services. And somewhere in the summer of 19, I realized I needed to make a leadership change. And so after the fall semester started, uh, I moved a VP into a different position and decided to take the interim spot instead of naming someone internally. I just felt like that was the best thing 
or Nashville State. Well, of course, I thought I'd have the position filled by December and everything would be going by January. And it did not happen that way. And so um, actually, we had a failed search. And when COVID hit, it was really um, difficult going in and out of the role of the president and the vice president of academic affairs. So I think I wouldn't change doing the interim. Uh, one thing you will see about my career is I was not a vice president before I became a president. I was actually an AVP. And so it gave me an opportunity to really understand the dynamics between the deans and the faculty and that perspective of student work and success. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about some of the barriers that we really still had there. As much as I was talking from the level of the president and the vision and student success, there were things that were keeping us from being successful. And I think I was able to open those doors. So I would tell myself, you're crazy to do it just like I did before, <laughs> but it was certainly worth it. I think the length of time and then doing it during a pandemic was not helpful for anyone, but we survived it. We got through it. And I think we're stronger because of it. I know as a president, I'm much stronger because I had that time in academic affairs. So you, um, the ascension to the presidency without having been a vice president and without having sort of grown up in higher education and, and sort of traditional roots that, that presidents often take, what do you think has been, how has that been an advantage to you? And are there ways in which it's been a disadvantage at all? Well, I mean, I never thought of myself as being in higher ed when I graduated. So, you know, business, MBA, corporate America, always wanted to be a president or CEO. So I did always aspire to leadership, but it was an opportunity to teach a part-time course uh, at a proprietary school when my husband relocated to Knoxville and I followed, it changed my life. I mean, it was one of those, you ever had those life-changing moments? And it was in that classroom that I understood the power of education and action. I grew up knowing I was going to college, but I was in a classroom with students who were the first in their family. And when I learned about all the barriers that they were facing, and I don't just mean academic, that was there, but transportation, childcare, and more importantly, the lack of support from their family and friends, I knew I had to be a, be the support that my family gave to me. And so I carried that classroom experience with me. I didn't want to teach and grow to business year after year after year. So I knew I didn't want to be a full-time faculty member. But that cause, that education, is really and truly one of the strongest ladders to economic and social mobility. I carry that with me today. And so it's just been um, really a blessing that when I started the community college, I was able to develop a great relationship with the president who eventually created a position uh, called executive assistant to the president that gave me a seat at the table with senior leaders. And then when I went to Columbia State, I had another wonderful president who knew um, and supported my desire to be one. So I had the title of assistant vice president for the Williamson campus, which was a brand new campus, you know, from concept to uh, construction that I brought out the ground. It could have been campus president, but I just didn't have the title. And although titles matter, I have learned experience can outweigh it. And so that is how I have been just building my career to get the experiences that I needed 
even a little stint with resource development and fundraising and um, along the way that has really helped prepare me. So I think one, my mindset's different because I do think sometimes like the business leader, I have to remind myself that I am when we get back into this old way of doing things in education and that I am looking at preparing students to go to a four-year and be successful or go to work. And so I think about what supports do they need every day to help them get to their goals. That's helpful. I, so I'm curious because uh, I'm thinking about Philip Rogers, I think, at, from ACE, who's now president in, in, in North Carolina. And I think it's a really interesting trajectory. And as a former chief of staff, like, I mean, you're, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware how much you know from being around in that in that in that space, um, and I'm curious if for for those who are in that space, who are in that kind of um, inner circle, who are responsible for help guiding and advising presidents to navigate complex challenges, what do you think was you know I'm sure you came in really somewhat intimately understanding the role of the presidency. What surprised you despite that? Because I, I I'm curious if you could share that for people who are in a similar position? That is a great question. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple of things that surprised me. One, I like to think out loud. That is just who I am. I'm a collaborative leader. I like to get people in a room. I like to talk. But every word I said, people were trying to do. And so you have to start learning how to guard your words or say, I'm just thinking out loud. Because literally that first Two, three months, people were running, trying to jump and do things. So I think it's more of a understanding that you're now in a role and that people consider you an authority. And that even though you think you're collaborative and it's participatory and I want everybody to have a voice, the weight that your voice carries. And so that was surprising to me that I had to start saying, I'm just thinking out loud. Um, the other thing I think that surprised me, and I think it's particular to Nashville State, is how insular they were. I'm such a big partnership person, um, have seen a lot, been able to participate in wonderful things. Like we talked about the Aspen program and how they had not. And so you can't just say the words, you know, I want to redesign the student experience. They didn't know what I was talking about. And so you have to actually take them, okay, I want you to go visit this place. I want you to go see these things. So even though I had the student success and the words that I was using. You, you have to realize sometimes people don't know what you're talking about, but they'll nod their head and say, yes, and we are not achieving the results. So I think as a leader and as a president, you have to realize your voice matters. People are listening to you. They want to please you. They want to do the work, but you can't just always speak it and then think that they understand it. You have to show people sometimes what it is that you're looking for. Um, and so part of my 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 journey in these almost three years has been building that strong leadership team that we understand one another, that the words mean the same thing, and that they can now disseminate and create that same culture and opportunities for people that they supervise. How did the pandemic reshape your view of or affect your view of uh, what students need from an institution like yours and and what have you done in response? Well, Nashville State is really in our urban market. We're in Nashville. We serve seven other 
communities. And so we do have a mixture of rural and suburban, but the, the heart of my students are from Nashville. And so I came from a college that sat in one of the wealthiest, um, the highest educational attainment. And so I was dealing with parents more than I was dealing with students. When you come to Nashville State, you realize it's the same students that I had in my classroom in Knoxville. Uh, still a lot, majority first generation, um, issues with transportation, childcare, textbooks. So um, I saw right away uh, in that first month as a president, we don't have a lot of support for students. And so I am proud of the work we've been able to do. Uh, we have opened up campus cupboards, food pantries. We have focused the foundation um, on more beyond financial aid support, you know, with textbooks and childcare. And um, we've created a student success model. But uh, the pandemic highlighted a need we had not been discussing, technology. And that was just highlighted that students not only needed devices, <laughs> they needed Wi-Fi connections. Um, they needed to understand how to use technology because we still had so many on-ground sections. So when we did the swift transition, and in this case, it wasn't just the students that had to learn faculty as well, but they didn't know how to use the technology. And so um, that really became evident. And so we did, we stopped, started a laptop loaner program. We loan out Wi-Fi hotspots. Of course, many of these things we've been able to do because of the federal funds for COVID, but we're gonna find a way to continue them. The other thing that it highlighted, which was a focus for the college, but even brought more awareness, was the equity gap between our black and white students. And so remember, you had COVID, you had George Floyd, you had all of the social unrest, and you realize that there are systemic issues that are keeping our black students from being successful. And so that was highlighted as well. And so the focus is on equity. You may be aware we have Tennessee Promise, Tennessee Reconnect. You know, here's tuition and be free. Why aren't more students coming to college? Those are equity programs. And we are happy, happy, I'm sorry, equality programs, equality. We're happy to have them, but they don't all start at the same place on that line. And so we are working to better identify what students need earlier and help support them through their journey. And so, again, you know, equality programs, but we need to have an equity lens and realize that people need different supports. And some of our students have a lot of barriers to overcome. So you talked about um, engaging in student success, redesign and transforming the student experience, right? And I'm, um, and I heard a bit of just some of the, the significant changes that you've advanced and, and, and I think there have been some pretty big ones. But I'm just wondering for you as a president, um, because this is something I notice a lot is that uh, this is a student success in particular feels ambiguous and it's difficult for some presidents to kind of peer down into the institution and actually know how to fix it, to actually know how it's doing. Because we can look at all kinds of indicators, we can look at graduation rates and we can pick a random data point, but it's actually really kind of hard for mm -hmm. a, a, to be at that at the senior level and look down into the institution and have a, a clear sense, an accurate sense. So for you, uh, as you have gone through all this transformation, what when you look for an indicator of 
feeling like that for you confirms that the work is really happening and that it's making a difference. Is there is there any one thing that really you check up against and you make sure and, and you feel like that for you is is the um, is the sense of confirmation that that keeps you moving and you feel like you're doing the right stuff? I don't know that there's any one thing. I'll just be honest about that. What I have been really excited about, even in the midst of a pandemic, when people are tired and there's all this anxiety, is that we are putting students at the center. And it's in the conversations that we're having, you know, even with faculty saying, how is this? We need to help our students. You know, I just recently hired a, a VP of business and finance. And it's like, you need to be focused on students and you need to make sure facilities and IT and everybody is focused on students. And so really kind of what I did was disrupt Nashville State and just think of a puzzle. You just throw it out on the ground and they were so ready to start putting pieces together. And I was like, we're not ready. <laughs> we're not ready. There were some foundational things that we needed to get in place so that we could work together and have this shared vision of becoming what I like to say, a student ready college. And so now I'm starting to see it click in people that this is what we've been talking about, that these policies shouldn't be what's most convenient for us, but what's best for students. And so I'm starting to see it at all levels. The conversation around the table is changing. Um, people are working together in different ways. So I don't know that there's one indicator. For me, I'm waiting for our outcomes to match the work that is happening at the college. Because I think all of these puzzle pieces are starting to form. We're bringing up a welcome center, a one-stop shop, and that's going to feed into our student success center. And then we are really focusing now on elevating teaching and learning. Because I can pick you up, I can feed you, I can take care of your kids. But when you get in that classroom, if you do not have a positive experience, you're going to leave. And so that is our next bucket that we're really focused on, faculty and investing and professional development. And there's a lot of good things that we're doing, like poverty training and really understanding cultural bias. And so it's not just words anymore. Go out and treat students better. <laughs> it's how are we going to do that? And actually develop some core values around who we are as a college that we didn't have before. So seeing that come alive, those are the things that I go, we're getting it. We've made the pivot. We're focused on student success. Um, I don't, I can't think of a president I've talked to recently who hasn't acknowledged the need or at least use the rhetoric about transformation. And I'm interested in how you transformation and, and words like that can be kind of scary uh, <laughs> to people who are being told they need to transform. And so I'm curious how you started that conversation and how you with with how you challenged your colleagues to accept the idea that they needed to do things differently and what you did when you ran into friction. So all of that's great. I will say I use data to tell the story. I came in June. First convocation is in August. First, I'll say they never had convocation. They never brought the college all together. So that was a first shocker. You mean we're all going to come together? Yes, all six campuses, we're going to come together. and We're going to have a meeting. And so I started presenting data and I did it more in a quiz, like, you know, out of these different demographics, who has the highest you know, persistence or completion rate. And so it was a quiz. We actually, it's an interaction, right? And so they're voting. 
you know, what's the African-American male three-year graduation rate? You put all these numbers up. Well, it's 4.3%. No one selected that. They selected the double-digit numbers. And I had to tell them, this is not acceptable. It should not be acceptable to us. And so once they saw that our outcomes weren't meeting our mission, like it's not enough just to bring them in. We were very much Community College 1.0, enrollment, enrollment, enrollment. And we had been on an enrollment decline. And the, the college knew that. That was happening before I came. But it was masking the problem of persistence and retention. And so being able to show that if we could keep the base of people we have, we don't have to add as many new people, although we want them all. And so I think telling that story through data and saying good college, but not great. And that was one of my, um, I think my theme, good to great. I'm sure you all know about that. And just really saying we have to say to ourselves, is this the best we can do for students? And is this the best our students can do? And if the answer is no, we got to change. And so that helped, I think, that it wasn't just this new president and she wants some new words and she's going to have this new theme. It was we have to do better by our students. The hard part, I think, the challenge was helping faculty and even staff actually take ownership. Because you know the first thing they're going to say, give me better students. <laughs> Give me better students and we can have better outcomes. And so um, borrowed from a friend, you know, you have to love the students you have, not the ones you wish you had. And so these are our students. And so that's the journey we're really starting to embrace now, understanding our students and what their needs are, not what we think they need. But that early beginning of the transformation and why this was important, it was putting the data that they had not seen before. And asking that question, is this the best we can do for our students? So that's really where that work started. So I'm curious about, um, and we talked a little bit earlier, you mentioned the Aspen program, but um, for, for folks who want to figure this out, I'm curious about how you identified the right steps that would work, the right messaging, the right focus in the way that you just described. Um, what experiences prepared you the best for being able to lead um, a campus that was going to wrestle with some of these really serious challenges that a lot of campus leaders have claimed to want to improve, but have not been able to. So I'm just because you've actually been able to implement a lot of really significant change. Clearly, some of the stuff that you've done before this that prepared you must be the right stuff. Well, I mean, I definitely have to highly credit Aspen. Um, and if anybody's interested in being our president, I highly recommend that you apply for the Rising Fellowship Program. Um, interestingly enough, and we mentioned this before we went live, I became a president in June, had my first session in July. So I was really learning and going. So you come up with like, how did you create this? Like I was learning from Aspen, this framework of student success and how to talk about Community College 1.0 and 2.0 and, and give people words that they could understand what I was trying to say. So a lot of that was trial and error. I wish I had Aspen six months before I started, but I think it worked out fine. Um, I came from an institution before Nashville State that had some of the highest completion and persistent rates. So I saw what that looked like to invest in students and was a part of breaking it all the way down from, you know, how often do we communicate with students that apply? You know, what is that communication gap? Well, at Nashville State, they could apply in September. Well, 
you're not talking to him again until May or June saying, hey, you need to turn your stuff in. Like, that's not how you keep students <laughs> motivated and warm and encouraged. And also went through several different methods of advising and orientations while I was at my former institution that, you know, it just seemed to me all we were concerned about was getting you in, getting you in a seat and good luck. And that just wasn't going to work. And so understanding what some of those fundamental things were, even low hanging fruit that we could change um, is what I was able to bring. I also think being a part of the Tennessee Board of Regents system for now 20 plus years helped because I had established relationships. So, you know, being at a community college in Tennessee was not new. What was new for me is what was missing. I'm like, well, so where are these things that I'm expecting us to have? And they're like, you mean we can do that? I was like, yes, and let me show you, you know, what we need to do. And so I think it was just, you know, again, a different kind of culture where they were not a bad institution and they love students. They were a good institution, but they weren't focused on completion at all. And so that is really what has led the change because you have to go all the way through the student life cycle. And so my next journey is already starting to warm them up. We're going to talk about post-completion because getting them to the graduation line is not enough for me. You know, are they well prepared to transfer to a four-year and complete an acceptable rate of time? Are they going into the workforce and being successful because we've trained them well? And so that is our next stage to get to Community College 3.0. We're just trying to hit 2.0, but we're already talking about post-completion because that indicates how our programs are. Is it of good quality? Are we really adequately preparing students to do well when they leave us? And that will feed and bring resources to the college if we do that well. So we are in the midst of starting to talk about post-completion while we're trying to get to 2.0. That's great. And so I'll just end on this one question. Um, so you've gone, you really investigated and pursued understanding the presidency and obviously engaged with a great program that helped support you as you made the final decision to do this job. I'm just curious if there was one piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice that has been the most useful to you as you lead um, that perhaps you might often give to other people. Hmm. It's one I keep having to work on, to be quite honest, and that is celebrate the good and give yourself a break. You know, we have high expectations, I think, as presidents of how we want work to just I just say it. You just go. You know, once I learned that there's power in my voice, I'm expecting these things to happen uh, organically and work out. Well, I have to remember that we have come a long way because I'm looking at how far we still have to go still to get to 2.0, but we've done a lot of good work. And it's oftentimes when I hear someone else say, oh, you've done a lot of work. I go, yes. So celebrate the good. Let people know that they're doing a good job. I underestimate that sometimes because I, I guess I don't always need that constant feedback. It's nice to hear that people think you're doing a good job, but some people really need to do that. So be more intentional about celebrating the good especially in the midst of the pandemic. There's so many other things people are thinking about, but then give yourself a break. What I learned very quickly, well, I won't say quickly, within the first year, oh my God, this is going to take much longer than I thought. Because I had this whole Pollyanna idea, I'm going to walk in, I'll fix enrollment, we'll be growing. And you're like, oh my gosh, 
there's a lot to unpack here. We're still peeling back layers of, oh, this is broken. This is broken. And so I had to start saying this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we're preparing for the long haul. And so um, I'm excited about this journey that we're on. I think we're headed in the right direction. Um, Often when I look at the Aspen winners, you just go, oh, I'm a terrible president. Oh, look at this amazing stuff they're doing. But then you realize it took them 10 years to do that. (laughs) It didn't happen in two. And so give yourself a break. As long as you know you're headed in the right direction, monitor and adjust when needed and celebrate the good. That's a perfect way for us to end today. And thank you so much for um, for sharing your wisdom with us. I believe uh, this show, uh, while it was sponsored by the Carnegie Corporation, it could have been sponsored by Josh Weiner, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially a plug for their incredible programs. Which every time I work with Aspen, I'm always so uh, impressed. Uh, and that um, yeah, they do great work. So um, this is a clear testament. And so uh, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us. Doug, as always, I'll see you next week. And for folks at home, we're going to be seeing Millie Garcia coming up next week. And then I think the week after, we might have Michael Crow in our one-year anniversary. So stay tuned for that. And otherwise, we hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you.